Perth and Adelaide play out a crazy draw. The Mariners down the Jets in the F3 derby and Jamie McLaren breaks the A-League scoring record. That's all coming up. Welcome back to another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. And uh, on this first part of the pod tonight, I'm joined by uh, Matt Olson and Antonis Pagonis. Uh, I've got a WA-based reporter. I've got an SA-based reporter because we've just seen a fucking crazy, um, excuse my language, um, game between Perth Glory and Adelaide United for all draw. First of all, boys, before we get into the football, Matt, you're actually coming coming to us from HBF Park, as we talk right now, you've actually just had the presses with with Carl Veer and uh, and Ruben Zakovich. How, how are you? How are you going on this uh, on this uh, crazy crazy Sunday? Oh, vibes, mate! Pure pure vibes out here. Um, I can tell you that both managers, you know, considering uh, the fact that both conceded four, both were were pretty giddy and had a lot to say, and it was it was fun. I'm just going to be honest; it was fun. So, you know, as someone who's not necessarily biased per se, you know, I'd have, I'd have been happy talking to Kyle after an Adelaide win and talking about being in second and all of that. You know, I'm not, I'm not biased, but you know, it's, it's HBF Park. It's pure entertainment. And there's a lot to love about what we just saw with, you know, Perth in the finals, uh, contention as well. So yeah, a terrific night and two, two, uh, very interesting press conferences to be a part of tonight. Antonis, you look like you've like just gone through like some kind of, I don't know, life changing, event that's just kind of taken the wind out of you you do not look energized whatsoever it's been a long day for other reasons for writing for you but that's another story <laughs> <laughs> so um it's just a summary of adelaide season isn't it it's you don't really see four old draws very often and this is the second one adelaide's been involved in this year that says it all doesn't it it both sides will prefer the win but i reckon for just for the neutral, for the league enjoyer, for the A-league enjoyer, I reckon this is the perfect result because it keeps Adelaide in that fight for second mm. and it also keeps Perth in contention for a final spot. So both sides left it all out there, but they've got more to play for next week. So A-league wins. And, and it keeps Newcastle and Western slightly alive. Hey, don't, don't, you know, they're still relevant somehow in this conversation. <laughs> and, and Brisbane, if they win. Uh, against, against Sydney. In fact, they're actually more relevant than, than the other three if they beat Sydney, uh, incredibly. But, um, I mean, just like you guys kind of just gave your initial thoughts there, but just kind of go in, I guess, a little bit more detail because the emotions of that, um, the fact that I, <laughs> I texted this dude, but the fact that Adam Taggart, who is just, let, let's face it, he's, the, he's, he's done nothing, okay, since, since he joined Perth. He had, he had, well, Matt, Matt, Matt said to me, he's right, that his debut was good. And then the last game at Mastodice was good as well. But then he just pops up out of nowhere, scores, scores twice, two really good goals as well. The second one, uh, was a stunning strike. And it's kind of like, oh wait, yeah, Adam Taggart, he still, he still can score goals in the A-League. I forgot. Um, and he just does it at the most opportune time. It's, it's crazy. It's delirious. HBF Park's going off. Um, and then like a matter of minutes later, we see, we see the, the most exciting, the best young talent in Australian football right now just do what he does, uh, with another fantastic finish. It's just like the, the, the seesaw of emotions that, that anyone would have gone through 
in that game is crazy. I mean, let alone Perth and Adelaide fans, right? I'll let, let either of you jump in here. Yeah. Well, like yeah. I, so, for the neutral, this is perfect. We had this guy, I don't even know his name, on Twitter midweek saying how boring the A-League is. This Australian. Oh, oh, I am so happy this happened just for that. Yeah. So, you know, how can you get anything better than this? Mm. But three goals after the 90th minute. And to be honest, if this happened in the Premier League, we'd be hearing about this for the next decade. Kids will be growing up and saying, oh, I wish I was alive during this, like Boxing Day of I still, I still hear about when Czech Teote equalized for Newcastle United and made it four against your beloved Arsenal, Antonis. Well, this is exactly what it is, isn't it? It's something that you look back on and like, wow, this is something that actually happened. And I'm sorry, if you don't enjoy this, mm. the A-League's not your problem. This sport isn't for you. Full stop. Mm. No, no, I totally agree. I was, I was very happy to see some people straight away, uh, <laughs> straight away getting on that guy on uh on twitter after after this um so yeah but i mean matt what what about you like what's 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 the emotions because you're at the ground as well right you you, you actually there when 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 taggart scores a second goal i mean describe the noise when when that kind of goes in and and i guess the feeling uh maybe just among kind of the other the other media as well that were with you too yeah, so so I mean, I mean, honestly, the the one the one sort of talking point. I'll just stand outside the sign here. The, the one talking point that I think you can actually speak to from a from a WA perspective was the fact that the crowd was actually pretty pretty crap. Yeah, um, yeah, I was I was gonna yeah I was gonna bring that up. Yeah, alongside uh, Matt Camido from Keep Up and uh, and Ben Smith from the West Australian, you know, two guys that are pretty devoted to the game and and know their stuff. Um, their reactions said it all. You know, they've been. They've been coming to these games for years. They're consummate professionals. And even them, you know, there's a lot of arming and arming and all and, you know, just being fans, basically. And uh, when you're getting that kind of reaction from, from senior members of the media, it just speaks so heavily mm. to, to the, the kind of, you know, the, the, uh, well, what's the word? The, the contest that we saw and, mm. and, you know, just the, the atmosphere of it. From a crowd perspective, I mean, yeah, it went off. Like, you know, when Zimarino scored and Taggart scored, it, it, it went off, but. Um, yeah, just the, the atmosphere itself was, was maybe honestly lacking in that respect. Hopefully with, you know, finals to alive and, and a big game to, to come against Western United, we see a lot more improvement in that area. Um, yeah. Well, so- that's, yeah, that's what I was thinking, particularly if, um, had Perth held on, like you would have hoped that going to next week, that crowd would be, would be kind of rocking, but, but they didn't. Um, and, no. and Tonus, let's, let's kind of talk a little bit about Adelaide because this, the, def- this defensive stuff, like it needs to be spoken about, right? Um, it it needs to be psychoanalyzed, I think, at this point, because what and and I was just talking, you know, we we're just talking off air, and I think what people aren't kind of noticing is that even when Adelaide have been good, they're actually still conceding a, sh- a shitload of goals, and they're really not, they haven't really found the sweet spot defensively yet at all this season. Yeah, I've got a bit of a point on that prepared. So hear me out because I think <laughs> you, know, you got, you got like a point where you got to kind of land the plane a little bit. Kind of like that. And I yeah. want either one of you that if something pops into your head after or anyone that's listened to respond to this, because I genuinely believe there has not been a side in A League history with such a gap between how good they are offensively mm. and how bad they can be defensively. Now, a stat for this, and I'd like a stat from you as well after for anyone that's listening to think about. Adelaide's conceded 42 goals in 25 games. Now, there's five other teams that have conceded that much. We've Mm. got Wellington, we've got Perth, we've got the Jets, we've got Western United. 
those teams are between sixth and ninth. So that stat suggests this is where Adelaide should be when it comes to defending. The other side that's in that stat is MacArthur right at the bottom. We won't focus on them. Now, that's the defensive side. With the attacking side, I want to have a look at the Wanderers stat of goals against. The Wanderers in 25 games have conceded only 24 goals. Now, seven of those goals have been scored by Adelaide United. (laughs) That doesn't sum it up. I don't know what it is. Adelaide United, that's considered all these goals, have scored a quarter of the goals the Wanderers have conceded. So that says it all, how good they can be offensively and how bad they can be defensively. And you saw it in the game. You see the goal, the first goal Adam Taggart scores. As a centre-back, you have to clear that, Ben Warland. I'm sorry. Then you've got... He just missed Zimarina. trying to fly the ball, didn't he? Yeah. The Zimarina goal. Adelaide That's terrible. That's that terrible. About half a dozen yeah. times, let's be honest. Mm. And then the last Adam Taggart goal. You give away the ball, you open up a counter-attack, and then if Taggart doesn't take the long shot, if Taggart doesn't take the long shot, he lays it off to about two, three players. So, you know, you're kind of asking for it at that stage. Well, I didn't really understand because I think what that the Taggart, the, the, the fourth goal, was they, you know, they were worried about, well, if one player commits, then we're going to leave a space behind. But there was, you know, there was four of them there for Adelaide. I think one player could have maybe gone out and kind of closed the shot. Um, but, you know, they didn't. And, and they concede again, they concede four goals again. Um, you know, after, you know, you think back to the Western Sydney game at home, um, kind of brought out the same sort of thing where, and they just, you didn't feel for either team really though. You didn't feel like either team had it in them to, to see out a lead for more than five minutes. Like that's why it was just such a crazy game, right? Um, goes, yeah. That goes back to Adelaide because when you enter injury time with a goal lead, you're disappointed if the other side draws level, but you can't let them go ahead if you're seriously challenging for silverware. And I think that's what Carl Veard really needs to focus on. We saw them very vulnerable from the long ball. We mm. saw them very vulnerable sitting back trying to defend the lead. I'm sorry. The first half in particular on those long balls. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going into finals, one thing to win a two-leg semi-final or going to a grand final against one of these top four sides, you need to be much better at dealing with all kinds of situations and you need to be much better defending a lead. Because if you take a lead, they're going to come at you. They're not going to sit back and let you have your victory. You're going to have to come up against some very talented players who are very hungry. So it's a big, big concern. But, you know, they keep scoring. That's why they're in games. Matt, Matt, did you think, uh, like watching the game, that it was kind of like this is Adelaide's world and Perth are living in it a little bit, like they're kind of getting sucked into the to the craziness? Yeah. I, I, so I think one thing you have to understand about these these games, right, these types of games, is that um, you know, from a from a Perth perspective, they only come into a game like this when it's really necessarily required of them, right? And I think you're totally correct in that, you know. Like, even when Aaron Kunda came on and he was given all the space in the world and there was just so much chance creation there and the ball was bobbling around and Adelaide were always a threat in the final third, so much of that comes down to the fact that obviously Adelaide are a superior football team, for one, right? But it also sort of speaks to the fact that they they love being under that pressure. And when Ruben Zakovic says that they live for being under the pressure, like that, that is them, that is, oh no, I'm going to use his catchphrase. That's them to a T. You know, that, that is, that is who, who they are within their own DNA. And I, and I think you can see with a lot of the experienced heads in the team, they live for a game like that. But when they, when they're down on their laurels and when Adelaide have that advantage 
only ever so slightly, that's when, yeah, you're going to see Adelaide controlling the game. You're going to see them being the superior unit. And Perth will just crack under that pressure. But they were able to come back into it. They would be able to be given those chances. Mm. They were able to have a, you know, a wonder strike from, from Adam Taggart and bring, bring the game in, in in any way that they can. So it just was one of those types of games. And no, I'm not getting arrested. There is just happens to be a police car going past the stadium right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um you can add that to wacky podcast moments um but what um do you but matt also like i got a real feeling watching this that like perth have got this really weird like they just keep the ball alive they keep like they, they've got this desperation thing about them as well which i think stems from the coach like they you know they definitely the players definitely buy into what he's doing they definitely you know respond they definitely want to play for him they definitely want to fight right to the end right yeah sorry a lot of traffic uh, <laughs> yeah, you couldn't hear over that police car right <laughs> no no a lot of traffic um look i i i I seem to be the only person in the world who, who watches this team enough and, and understands and sees all the really intricate details coming into place. And you can see it. And there's a reason why Ruben backs it so strongly. He talks a lot about the individuals. He talks a lot about, you know, like Ryan Williams. Ryan Williams is one of those players where if he was playing with another club, you know, he'd be respected more. The likes of Jacob Dowes who come off the bench. Even a youngster like Adam Zimmerino might be rated more. And it's because what I they love do Zimmerino. is... He's great. Yeah. Yeah, but I think, but I think people don't give them that love. And I don't think it's necessarily like a state bias thing or like an East Coast bias thing that's so typical in other codes. I think what it genuinely comes down to is people just don't see what the redeeming quality is about this team until they're under pressure, until they're in that environment, until they're playing you know what that it is? style you know, of football. Yeah, yeah. But you know what it is, I think, as well? I think with Perth and whenever I'm watching this season, I don't think they have a definitive style. Like they're not. I th- oh. Like, oh, no, I, I, I mean, sorry, what, when I say that, what I'm talking about is like, you don't know, like, are they really like, are they an attacking team? Are they a defensive team? Are they like, what kind of system do they really, you know, kind of like, it's like Adelaide are very much, you know, you know, they're going to roll out four through three every week. That's how they're going to play. That's their system. Yeah, this, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I vehemently disagree. You always know that you're going to have a heavy presence on the wings. You're going to be relying on a lot of balls placed out wide. True, you're going to be relying true. on a lot of long balls. You're going to rely on someone like Daryl Lachman or Mark Beavers to have a really big stature at the back to run the ball out from you know from, from underneath and to square that ball up for an Adam Taggart. I think you see a lot of similar patterns of play. It's just that you only see it in these intense moments. You only see the DNA and the... In, in, mm. in the the you know the heart of the team when it really is necessarily required and and that's what this game was and that's who Perth are and mm. people just don't don't respect that and because they can't respect it and because they can't see it they don't see a team that's seventh in the league they don't. Mm. I, I just got to vehemently disagree, so I better um just get back uh, just get back in my uh, corner. Uh, anyway, we got, I just want to add on. Yeah, yeah. For a second. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people when you talk about, I don't think it's more the East Coast bias. I think it's the ignorance because mm-hmm. it happens with Adelaide too. And not just because, oh, I don't want to understand. It's just because you don't follow it as closely because many people not in Perth came into the season thinking, yeah, Perth's going to be bottom, bottom two. Nothing special is going to come of them. And Ruben's actually done a very, very good job actually introducing that game style, introducing these players that we're talking about today and making them a cohesive side that with a round to go, I still I think, yeah. answer finals. So it's mm. not just the bias. I think it's ignorance. And you're starting to only look at these players now from other states 
because they are in this fight for finals and you have to give them that respect automatically. I think I think what I was trying to say probably, Matt, before is I think Perth stuff is a bit more nuanced. Like, you have to really probably watch them for a few weeks to kind of understand, like, what you're saying around, like, the get the ball wide, rely on 1v1s, this sort of thing. Um, whereas I think maybe... Like, if you watch a Melbourne City, like, I mean, this is, this is completely, it's not really probably the right comparison, but if you watch like Melbourne City, you can kind of see straight away, okay, they're a, you know, possession based attacking team. This is what they do. It's probably a bit more noticeable from, from the get go. But anyway, that's, it's not really a, it's not really a pertinent discussion. What I do want to get from you, Matt, though, is what, uh, what was, I guess, the reaction from both coaches? Uh, cause you were just at the press conferences. Yeah, so there was, there was a lot of questioning, a lot of talking, obviously, from a Carl Veer perspective about obviously the top two finals and obviously just the extremely uh you know young and exciting team that he has a lot of chatting about Nestor Rukunda a lot of chatting about you know Johnny Yule Yovanovic sorry a lot of a lot of these guys who just like you, you watch them play and they are bringing something to the A league that every club should aspire to bring to the A league and um Cole, you know, spoke very amicably. He wasn't using his catchphrases. I know you thought he was gonna be dishing out some of his catchphrases. He actually caught it caught a very There's only one. There's only one. Okay. Well, fair enough. Um but you know, yeah, the, the chat with Carl was was very much um let's talk about top two, let's be very excited about Nestria and Kunda and um, you know, let's talk about the fact that, that you know, something something I asked that uh Matt and Ben didn't ask was do you, you know, do you think there was weaknesses that were exposed because, um, you know, Perth play a very, uh, unique style of football in that they're always targeting certain areas. They're always playing through the wings. They're playing the long balls, which Adelaide did actually struggle with a lot of those long balls, particularly from, from Lackman. Um, and his answer was that, you know, you're always going to have those areas to target, but I think it is, it is quite circumstantial. And again, because of the freakish nature of the game, it's not something that you want to be scratching your head too much about, especially with, you know, bigger games coming up, uh, you know, with the top four and with, with the top two in his mind. And I think, fair enough, to be honest. Um, I don't think you can be you can be too concerned about the little intricacies of a game like this because it is so unique uh, in its nature, right? I think with Ruben, it was, it was, again, it was very much acknowledging the fact that because we're in that intense environment, we actually did show our strengths. We did play the football that we wanted to play. And in a way, you kind of have to be thankful of Adelaide for that. You have to be thankful that they raised that bar, they put the team under pressure. And be honest, be honest. How many times can you remember, particularly at home, Perth playing well under pressure? You know, they, 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 they always have and they always do and they always live under it. Um, you know, mm. so many of these games, so many of these games again, particularly at home, you think, uh, when they were 2-0 down to Sydney at Macedonia Park, the game where the lights went out, they came back from 0-2 mm. down to make it 2-2. Uh, you know, they've had that tense 0-0 with the Wanderers here at HBF Park. They came back and uh and you know made it made it one nil to, to win that game in the ninety fifth round and yeah. they just they just vibe under that pressure and it's something that you just really have to to come to terms with. But the one thing that I did ask uh you know Ruben about and you can do this view this on Twitter um was the fact that you know um Adam Adam Taggart with with you know what, what Ruben thinks of his sort of progression and has he been unlucky and I think that Rubens, Rubens kind of admitted that Adams had a lot of chances where even he'll say to himself, you know, he's pretty disappointed. He really hasn't lived up to that height. Maybe he's not had the, had, had the season that he wants. But what does it say about him? What does it say about his presence in the team that every time he has stood up, something like this has happened? Mm. You know, uh, they were able to get that win against MacArthur because of him. They were able to bring themselves into the game and lead this game because of him. And I think that you have to acknowledge that and also acknowledge the fact that Ryan Williams is an absolute workhorse who would be in Johnny Warren medal contention. Uh, not Ruben's words, mine. 
who, you know, he's someone that, that would be rated higher if he was in a team that was achieving more, if he was with the Central Coast, if he was with Adelaide. He has been a very good signing, yeah, I agree. He's, he's been incredible. And do you, know, do you know something that people don't talk about as well? Both of those guys have signed for three years. If, if we're getting three more years of that Ryan Williams and an Adam Taggart who can step up more, maybe contribute eight, nine, you know, ten goals a season and, and be a lot better in front of goal, um, tell me Perth can't be a, fr- a threat. Tell me Perth well, won't well, 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 be that team. Well, let's get to that, right? Because it is, it is a, it's, it's chaos now with the seventh, eighth, ninth situation. Not chaos, but it's kind of, there's, there's a lot that still needs to kind of go in the favor of any one of these teams next week. But just, just straight off the bat, Perth, do you think, do you think that it could somehow happen for them next week and, and make that could they finish sixth? They're playing the right type of opponent. They're playing a Western United team that really, you know, it's going to take a lot for them to, to win in Perth. Let's be honest. Um, that there's still only the one loss that they've had in WIL season, and it was to Melbourne City. So, you know, by process of elimination, Western have had some very bad days today. Hey, they've, they've done a lot better than I was sort of yapping on about on the podcast for many weeks. They've actually did mm. get themselves into contention, got themselves to sitting around eighth or ninth. And, um, and fair play for John Albisi for being able to, to gain respect in that dressing room, get the club back to where they want to be. I, I think, I think Perth win that game though. Um, and I think that that's a, a hit and hope, you know, Ruben always talks about being in house. They are, not going to be, you know, sitting there on their couches doing total scenes if, uh, if you know, if Sydney drop points, if Wellington drop points. It's obviously well, not Wellington are playing MacArthur away, which is the interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting because when you look at Perth and Western and Wellington and MacArthur, you're looking at a very similar game. You're looking at two sides that can grind the result, get the result that they need and two teams who have maybe been on the back foot and who are, you know, maybe not in the best position going into that game. More so with Western because they're away, not so much with MacArthur in a sort of home and away dynamic, but because MacArthur really are at all odds as a, as a club at the moment. So, yeah, but I think you're still looking at two very similar fixtures and it'll be very keen to see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, okay. So it's interesting because you've got Wellington against MacArthur. So there's that. Um, and then Sydney are playing the Jets. So it's kind of everyone's, it's really Sydney and the Jets, uh, you know, linked in that way. And then you've got Perth and Western. So there's, there's, Two games there between uh, four teams who are actually in that fifth to ninth range, which is something, kind of yeah. Something that Carl said, and am I right in saying that the entirety of the top four are also playing against each other? Because I think Carl mentioned that's that in right. Russia. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So, so I know, I know that's that's actually really incredible, right? Uh, and then, and then, uh, Vic, well, we'll see what obviously we have to see what the Raw do against Sydney, um, because that's also a really important result potentially. Um, but let's say Brisbane lose that game, then, then victory and Raw can play out, uh, for the, um, you know, for like the Australia Cup playoff sort of thing. Um, but anyway, um, moving on. Well, Antonis, the, the second, third, fourth kind of, um, cluster now that's, that's going on. Um, are you, I mean, Adelaide now play the Mariners on, on Friday night. It's a huge game, uh, and it should get a very good crowd. What's your, What's your thoughts, I guess, going into that? And who do you, I mean, who do you see taking second now? The best thing about that is the other game, the Wanderers City game is kicking off at the exact yeah. same yeah. time. Brilliant. So it's like a real like Premier League last day. Vibe. Yeah. Obviously the stakes are not as big. The stakes is, especially now with no grand final hosting, like it's just a week off, but it could be important. And also the AFC cup spot is at stake. So yeah. it would be very interesting. Somehow, after all that we just watched tonight, Adelaide held serve. You know, they mm. 
mm. end of the round second, and it's in Adelaide Sands. Adelaide wins, Adelaide keeps. Now, if Adelaide drops points, which is very likely, which the way they're so... Look, look, the Mariners, well, I was just... Um, yeah, the Mariners, they're, they're looking better of like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, anything can happen. I still... Wanderers looked amazing this week. I still, I'm not convinced though that they can do this against Melbourne City. They have been kind of like Adelaide has been Melbourne City's Achilles heel. That way, City have been the Wanderers' Achilles heel. So yeah, I yeah, you mentioned this. Yeah, them, yeah. Still want to see them do it against City, but you know, just that the fact that we're going to the last week and it's anyone's position and anyone can go from second to fourth or from fourth to second is just fantastic. I just want to pick up on Matt's point from before about these young players going into Perth. You go into Perth with with Johnny Yule. It, yeah, here comes Johnny Yule propaganda. It, it, we, yeah, we, it, I have to. I have get to. The, get the time down. Yeah. The first two goals, That's. I'm sorry, that's all Johnny Yule, though. I'm, I'm for it. I'm for it. It's great. It's, it's a fact. I'm sorry. The, the, no other player for Adelaide United that would have the willingness and the ability to pull the moves he pulled for those first two goals. So, and that's his first start away from home in Perth. Mm, mm. That's all I'm going to say. Look at your vanity. Am I correct? By the way, full circle moment here. Am I correct in saying that he debuted in Perth? Yes. There you Absolutely. go. Yeah. Um, Luka Jovanovic, after a couple, uh, after a quiet week, gets back again to play, scores. That's how young strikers develop. You can't mm-hmm. just bench them after a week. And as Matt said, not many sides go to Perth and play their game. I've seen many experienced United sides mm-hmm. in the past go to Perth and get absolutely hammered. So for them to go there and play their game, a couple of lucky goals that they got, but that luck was created by them in their positive play. So full props to them. Again, you are going to get those goals playing like this, but you need to start defending them the other way as well. And the Mariners are going to punish you if you're not careful. So being at home, you know, I'm South Australian too. I am going to back United naturally. I do think they can do it at home. It's a replay of last year's first final where United won. You'd be backing United to take it out. But, you know, this league has shown us is here. Anything can happen. Yeah, I, won't be surprised. Yeah, I yeah. won't be surprised if in those 90 minutes, each one of these three sides occupies the second spot for at least a few minutes. Well, you know, but you know what's interesting, I think as well, is that there's also with Melbourne City and that Wanderers game, like people might think, oh, you know, Melbourne City, like they don't have anything to gain. Well, maybe they do because they could actually imprint a bit of a psychological blow on the Wanderers ahead of the finals. So... You know, when you look at it from that perspective, maybe there is something for them to play for. Maybe they could go out there, play really well, beat the Wanderers 2-0 and just like put a shadow of doubt in that team. It's that. It's mm. that. It's absolutely you want to make a statement against a finals contender. But Melbourne City is kind of in this choose-your-own-adventure territory <laughs> where they can get a result they want and hope the other game goes that way to kind of shape how the finals are going to play out, who they want to see in that semi-final, depending if I was Melbourne City, let's say I wouldn't want to see Adelaide United before the grand final going by the results of the last couple of years. Mm, mm. I doubt this is something they would think about though. And historically, I think in sports, when you start picking and choosing your opponent is when you get punished by the football slash basketball slash baseball, whatever sports gods that they're there. So I think they're going to go out and play their game. Now, human nature may dictate they're not as aggressive as they would be if something big was on the line. 
But again, there's too much quality there to just say, oh, yeah, the Wanderers are going to walk it, especially going by the recent record between the two sides. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, whilst we're on the topic in Melbourne City, I think it's important that we mention this on the pod. Jamie McLaren, um, breaking best up Richard's all-time A-League uh, goal-scoring record. Our thoughts, I guess, on that, Matt? Look, um, Jamie McLaren scored his first A-League goal on the very turf I am standing right I, now. I, I actually, as you were talking, it kind of just went into my mind, yeah. And... You know, you would be quite stupid as someone who's an avid A-League fan. Put your, put your allegiances aside. Put your allegiances aside, please. Who Jamie McLaren is, what he has done for the A-League as a product, what he has done for the Socceroos, he scored in the shootout against Peru. He is someone that is as deserving as that status as anyone in the game. And honestly, like, there's so much hate because of who, who he's played for and who he's represented. Fact of the matter is, Fact of the matter is, he left from Perth because he was worried about his opportunities. He left to Brisbane, made a name for himself, and he came to City not because he wanted to to be there for the rise or to be there because you know he wanted to be this big starlet player. He went there to move home. He is from Sunbury in in northern Melbourne. He moved to Melbourne City to go home. It's not like he was sitting there with his pitchforks out, you know, being this hmm. contentious character. And he is someone that has given so much to the game. So for me, it's, it's, you know, nothing but positivity, nothing but love. And I understand that he can be a shit stirrer. I'm not saying that he's not. He, he, he did openly be. say that he wanted this record, like, kind of like, kind of in yeah, a way yes. where it was like part of the reason he came back kind of but was for don't, it. Don't, don't dissuade that from the conversation of his career as a whole, because that is, mm. that is, you know, the 130 goals that have, con- that have contributed to the man and the player that we 140, see. 140, 143. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> Thank you for quite literally setting the record straight. But, but you're like, you know, the, the point is it's, it's about Jamie McLaren, the footballer. It's about everything that we've seen over his time in the A-League and the representative and the character that he's been, you know. So I don't appreciate a lot of people's instincts to go out there and, and talk smack about him because yes, I understand he is contentious, but the overall picture is not someone who, who is like I don't, that. I don't, and, yeah, I, I don't really get that. I don't understand what really is contentious about Jamie McLaren too much at all, to be honest. But I, I'd say this, that he's a guy who, maybe not so much at Perth because he was younger, but he's a guy who kind of proved himself at three different clubs, which I think is impressive um, as well, you know, and that's that's a rarity probably in the A-League for, for one player to go to two or three different clubs and, and show, you know, that... I, I, I can be right amongst the elite in, in this league. Um, so yeah. And then, you know, it's always cool. Like it also meant a lot to him as well. Um, which I know, you know, you would think, well, of course it's going to mean a lot to him, but it's, it's kind of, I think it's a, it's a cool thing that a soccerer, you know, takes such pride like that in, in a record, you know, uh, that's, that's related to the A league. I think that's, I think that's really, really great. Uh, Antonis, any thoughts on this? And I want to um, mention of that the stuff is done for the soccerist. I want to remove the soccerist from this because if you follow this league, you have to respect what he's done. Mm. He's the top. He's the literal top scorer of this league. There's nothing much more to say about. Jay McLaren is basically like an automatic 15 goals minimum a season. Autom- and the thing minimum. about him as well, it's just the A League story that he's a Melbourne boy that wouldn't get his chance in Melbourne. Went to the other side of the country, and not only did he go there, he pushed himself and got those opportunities. And he did that there, he did that in Brisbane, and he went back home and he became a legend back home at the place that he wouldn't receive his chance. I just want to say for the future, 
I think the way we are going, and I brought this up, I brought this up about young Australian strikers before. This is a big credit to Jamie McLaren and the person, the player that he is. But this is not how our next big talents should be making it. They should not be forced to live this way, to move and move for opportunities to be unsure. They should be backed. They should be supported. And that's why I was very glad again to see. I'm not saying it's going to be a Jamie McLaren. He's a poacher like him, but uh, very different talents. Look at Jovanovic getting a chance after having a very quiet game last week. How many of these young strikers do you see being benched? Fans saying, oh, I'm done with them after a quiet game. These, these, these are literal kids, 17, 18 years old. You need to back, if you see something in them, you need to back them, you need to trust them. And then you get those dividends years down the line from that trust. Now, Luca could have been sitting on the bench tonight. Instead, he started and he got a goal. What does that do for his belief in his own ability? It's huge. And that's what I want to see, not just from Adelaide and one or two clubs. Each and every club should be treating the best young talent like that. And well done to Jamie McLaren for achieving what he's done. But that should not be the part. Yeah, finally, uh, we, we fi- finally circled back around to the topic. Uh, I will be going yeah, no, on about this until the day I die until it's different because it's, no, not, go- it's not good. Well, I'll ask about ask about Jamie isn't... McLaren's record. Get a get a lecture about clubs who play young strikers. Just, just, no, Antonis Antonis has set up the perfect segue because this is actually fucking huge. We are talking about breeding Australian strikers while I am stood next to a statue of an Australian striker that embodies so much about that journey. The late, great... I'm not sure if you guys can see this, and obviously this is an audio podcast, so I apologise, but this is the late, great Dylan Tombides yep. stood right here next to me. And if, if, if you want to talk about more of that kind of hullabaloo around Australian strikers and what it meant at the time for when Jamie McLaren broke out, we were having a crisis in the national team. We were talking about how we don't, we don't produce strikers in the A-League and the, the same player who came and made made a scene at Perth and made a scene at Brisbane around that time that we were struggling was the guy who would go on to set the goals record for the A-League mm. as an Australian. Mm. Mm. Very so interesting. It, yeah. Yeah, it's a testament to him. Yeah. No, no. He deserves all the portals that, uh, that, that have come his way. All right, guys. Um, good, good stuff, Matt. Uh, a special mention in particular for you uh, for, for doing uh, the podcast whilst basically walking out of HBF Park. So, uh, did you did you appreciate me showing you through all the hallways and all the renovations at the Women's World Cup? I understand that I couldn't. See yeah, yeah, I definitely appreciated it whilst I, just... I was in the middle of talking. Yeah, that 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 <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I was showing you all the upgrades, man. All the fancy new parts of the building. Uh, all right. Um, thanks for joining me, guys. Any anything else either you want to add? Um, before before we uh before we take a break. Yeah. Look. Can we? Someone. One person talk. No, no one's talking. Oh my god, it's a disaster. Matt, you talk. <laughs> I was really, I really wanted Antonis to go because I, I think he was, what he was going to say was a lot shorter than what I was going to say. But, okay. All right. All I basically was going to say is make sure that we just enjoy ourselves next weekend and enjoy the fact that, that the A League will, will always give us an intense finals race and will always keep it interesting and, you know, just respect a lot of what goes on. And, you know, there are any fans out here listening whose clubs are involved. Don't get the pitchforks out. Don't abuse people online. Mm. Don't be that kind of person. Um, you know, just, just enjoy it for what it is. And, uh, you know, unless they say, unless they say they don't have time for the A League, then, then I'm, then I'm okay oh, yeah, if you want to get yeah, some pitchforks yeah, out. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. There's no denial about that. But look, cop, cop a beer and a cry if your team doesn't make it. 
uh, celebrate like it's the apocalypse if your team wins. You know, it's it's just go out there and, and have fun um, and enjoy the football. Antonis? On Friday night, because not many times you're going to get the top four playing each other for that second position at the same time. So, very exciting. All right, good, good, uh, good stuff, boys. Um, let's, uh, let's take a break. Okay. Jack Tuhill joins me now. Uh, and we're going to discuss a little bit about the F3 derby that occurred this weekend, uh, and the Newcastle Jets in general. Uh, first of all, Jack, how are you going? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Uh, took in a pretty good game of football, you know, regardless of the result and how I personally interpret it. But, um, Geez, there, there was there was a couple of really smashing goals in the Central Coast, and I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. To be honest, yeah, no, uh, absolutely. So the Jet, the, the Jets go down three one um, at home, go down nine men as well, and yeah, I think it. Now, obviously, you know we've just spoken about the the Perth Adelaide um, result and the craziness of that, and the Jets still have a chance, um, a very very small chance. They still have a chance of making finals, but I just felt like. That result was like the the kind of last straw. It, it felt like a massive blow, and you didn't feel like coming out of it like okay, they can still make it, right? I feel like that is the final nail in the coffin mm. for the Jets. Uh, they got away really well with an early goal from Joshua Sotirio ghosting in the back post, uh, but for really the rest of the first half, didn't didn't have a lot of purchase. They had a few breakaways which could have ended up in the back of the net for them, but. Uh, Sammy Silvera, he's dancing mm. feet along the byline, got the Mariners well and truly back into the game. And, and by the 58th minute, the, the Jets really never looked getting back. As soon as Brendan O'Neill got sent off, the, the Jets looked well and truly done, apart from a few late chances from Trent Bahaja getting in behind. But, um, I just want to talk about like Sammy Silvera. Oh, yeah. He's an absolute weapon. Those dancing feet, the first and second goals, those are two goals that, will go down as, you know, two of the better goals of the season. Um, the way he controls the ball, the mm. way he gets it out from his feet and, and opens himself up to, to get in those uh, opportunities to score, especially that first one, like that's a really neat angle to finish. And um, he really deserves all the credit because uh, without those two really smashing goals, it is a 1-1 at that point. And you probably don't see the, the rash reactions from the Jets in in the um, mm. Brandon O'Neill red card and, and then Carl Jenkinson, albeit in stoppage time. Well, with, with Silvera, remember, he started the season like a house on fire and it was like, wow, he's, you know, this is the kind of the kid that we saw uh, in his first in at the Mariners and here he's coming on leaps and bounds now in this system with Montgomery and, and with Cummings and Tullio and all these guys. And then the Mariners kind of in their, you know, their February, March, they had only one win from seven games and coinciding with that was guys like coming Silvera going through dips and form but now it looks like heading into finals he's going to be kind of primed and uh, and ready to go but let's let's talk more about the jets um because you're more clued in on that kind of side of things what what was your takeaway i guess because they had you know they have the big win against um against perth um and not not against perth my bad against macarthur yeah against macarthur i'm getting i'm actually getting confused with the with the, with the one of the previous games i had against perth uh yeah, it's, that, okay. The it's okay we were all confused about that game so yeah no okay. that's oh, that's right slide. exactly no uh the winning against macarthur sorry um and it's kind of like there, there's just things with the jets there's always like this great result great win everything feels great and then the next week they kind of come out and 
maybe feels great still, but then things just kind of go to shit and just felt like this was kind of one of those results where it just kind of put, put the end to uh, another kind of maybe false, false dawn, I guess. Ah, you put it very eloquently there, but just to <laughs> dive a little bit deeper, um, inconsistency is the word. We just, mm. it, it was discussed at length last season with the Jets. Um, the defensive inconsistencies. They played some really flashy football at times. And I believe this season they played some pretty good football as well. Um, you know, I, I remember seeing that, uh, that big result against Brisbane Raw and thinking that the Jets could really, really, uh, put their earnest on that top six, but it really just capitulated. Uh, the Reno Piscopo injury did mm. not help. Mm. Um, and that's sort of where their lull started. Uh, however, with him back, we've seen the quality that he adds to that side. Uh, unfortunately, um, I think it's a mixture for the Jets of a lack of certain personnel in key areas. And also, I think Arthur Pappas not really having a nailed on starting 11. And no, is, that's a great point. That's a great uh, point. He, yep. he's, yeah, yeah, just to go a bit deeper, he's always chopping and changing. I mean, mm. Dane Ingham is now a winger. Yeah. When he started the season as a fullback, Mark Nader started as a center back. He was playing left back. Um, on, uh, Saturday night and Jenkinson started as a fullback who is now playing center back. Mm. I'm not saying that those moves were, were, you know, not bad moves in terms of the, the, the skill that those players have. They are versatile and we've seen it in the past with probably more or less Jenkinson and Ingham. Nat, Nat has only really come into the A-League frame recently, mm. but certainly Jenkinson at Arsenal when he did play there and also Ingham, when he has played for a, for a few sides here and there, he's shown his versatility. But in the midway point of the season, it, it's really not helpful for the Jets. And well, midway point. I mean, we've got two rounds to go. Now one round. So well, yeah. yeah. Uh, but what I mean to say is, the, you know, yeah. the middle of the season isn't the time to be making those changes. No, for sure. Or towards at this point of the season, the pointy end, and it's the lack of that personnel that are there week in week out that I think is really. Uh, let the Jets down because when you look at their squad list and the players they do have, it, it's a side that could be probably doing a lot better and could have some consistency behind it. But it's the constant chopping and changing of the starting 11, some of the acquisitions, the Aquilina and McGarry um, switcheroo with the. That was, that was weird. I, I don't, yeah. Very weird mid season transfer. And whilst we're just talking about this result in isolation, a 3 1 win to the Mariners in an mm-hmm. 3 derby. All of those factors really played a part and really came to the surface on Saturday night. Yeah, well, the thing about the Jets, I just didn't get it. And I've said this before on the podcast where, you know, and, and look, it's, it's different to other clubs because of, we know the, the ownership situation or, or lack of ownership situation, right? But when a squad gets turned over so much and then you've also got a manager who, like, I think what people need to understand about the type of football which Arthur Pappas wants to play is that you can't teach that style of football and ingrain it in your squad when your squad changes so much, A, and then your personnel from week to week is also changing so much. So, you know, and and some of that's on him, you know, for, for obviously changing it too much. And you're right uh, in saying that. But, yeah, I just don't, I don't really understand going into the season what kind of the end game was, I guess, for them and what they were kind of thinking from from that perspective. But, I think the underlying thing which Pappas does have to take credit for, we have to be honest, is the defensive stuff. And they're just, they're, they're, they're just very porous and it's very easy to score against Newcastle. Um, and particularly like, you know, you just think 
Yerman and Carl Jenkinson, right? Like you're talking about guys, Matty Yerman is experienced in Asia. He's experienced obviously here, of course, uh, you know, with, with like Sydney FC. Um, Carl Jenkinson, that actually wasn't a bad move, putting him, shifting him to center back, uh, halfway Absolutely through not. the season. No, yeah, you know, um, but it just hasn't really helped, you know, the, the overlying issue that the Jets just can't defend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You put it really well there. Um, Arthur Pappas really wants to play a fluid brand of football. Which I and- love, by the way. You know, we know oh. he's, he works with, he worked with Ant Postacoglu. That's what he wants to do, right? We, we, I think as, as football fans in this country, we, we actually really like where Arthur Pappas has come from. He's moved his way up through the National Premier League system down there. Um, in Melbourne, and then he's gone off to Japan to be the assistant to quite possibly the best Australian coaching prospect, you know, of all time, dare I mm. say it, and, and come back to, to hopefully, um, instill his, uh, personal philosophies on a club he actually managed as a, in a youth, um, commodity, um, a few years before. So, um, the, the, the narrative's there. Don't get me wrong. Um, where it falters, and we can discuss this in an attacking sense as well, is his brand of football doesn't match the personnel he has at the club. And it's not something you can ingrain over the period of two years. Yeah. You know, he's been there two years and, you know, at times whilst, you know, you love to watch it and obviously the box office just was coined during the previous A-League season, not so much this year, but still managing to get some really promising results. Um, you really have to look at the problems in defense and, and also an attack more or less this season and think that Arthur Pappas really needs to think more about the squad depth the personnel he has and what brand of football those players are capable of playing. These are yeah. all full professional players. None of the players that are in the Jet squad don't deserve to be professional players because we've seen quality from, from all of them, I think, in the duration of this season. We've seen fantastic, I think, Mark Nader in centre-back started like a house on fire in the first couple of weeks yeah. when he was yeah, he did. brought into the starting 11. I thought Weir as a sweeper-keeper in those first couple of weeks was really good as well. I thought Jenkinson in a full-back position in those first couple of weeks where they just looked really promising was fantastic. I mean, Angus Thurgate. Yeah, but then um, he got, I mean, Jenkinson then, like, that was, I remember they lost, the Jets lost 4-0 at Melbourne Victory earlier on the season. Yeah, I remember that game because yeah. that was a, that was also an all-access game. And Jenkins got really found out in that game. And that's when you started thinking, okay, maybe this isn't, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I understand that. But for mm. the first couple of weeks, and for when sure. the Jets played well, for Jenkinson sure. has been a part of that in, in, in a fullback or a centre-back commodity. So the talent's there. And, and when you've got a midfield with the likes of Angus Sergate, who's a, you know, a young player hoping to, to, you know, go further in his career. I mean, he's off contract at the end of the season. He'd be wanting to play his heart out to either earn another A-League contract at perhaps a bigger club or a bigger contract with the Jets or perhaps earn a move overseas. We don't know where he's going. Andy Harper seems to suggest it's somewhere south. He hasn't um, put his finger on the trigger. That was in the commentary of the MacArthur matchup, I believe. Um, yeah. But these players can play. But um, I, I wanted to briefly talk about the attack as well. Um, well, can I we, think- can, can I just briefly, because I just want to, I just want to jump on a point you just made there, because I think it's really important. You said there that the Jets don't actually have the personnel to play the way Arthur Pappas wants to play. And it's, I mean, it's, it's dead right. Like, I don't, you know, even, even some of their guys who seem good on paper, you really think about the type of players that they are. Do they really suit the way Arthur Pappas wants to play? Now, even someone like, 
And this, you know, some people could criticize me for this, but even someone like Brandon O'Neill. Now, Brandon O'Neill is, is a really solid defensive midfielder and he can do a job for you. But you think about those Graham Arnold teams that he was a part of at Sydney FC. They weren't known for dominating the ball, you know, um, they were known for the high pressing and that's something that Brandon O'Neill does well. But when it comes to dominating possession, having, you know, 70% of the ball, pinning an opposition back in, 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 in their half. I don't think Brandon O'Neill is that type of player to dictate the game from deep. I don't really see him like that. It's not like an Isaias, for example, at like United, if you want to kind of do that sort of comparison. I mean, and you look at it and it's like, you know, Jenkinson and Yerman, the problem as well there is like, they're not, they're not good ball players, right? Like they're not, <laughs> they're not great kind of when you want to build out from the back and do that sort of thing. You know, um, putting Mark Natter at left back, I mean, that just kind of derails the whole balance of what you want to do as well. And then you've got guys like Satira and Bahaja. I mean, they're just far too erratic to play in a sort of system that, that Arthur Pappas wants to play, right? Uh, like far too direct as well. Far too direct yeah, to be playing. But, but that's why, you know, someone like Satira and Bahaja. And the reality is for these two, I think, and Satira in particular, look, I know he's got his goal on, on Saturday and he did okay, but. The reality for someone like that, I think, is that he can't really be any more than a squad player in the A-League. I, I don't see him... You, you can't... I don't think you can trust a player like that week in, week out to, to, to perform, right? Uh, it's a That's an awesome segue because I was just going to get into both two names. Well, there you go. I'm just, I'm, I'm just great like that, aren't I? So. A fantastic host. Uh, can't give you enough credit. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't get enough of that. Thank you, Jack. See, this is why I need you on more because I don't get enough of that from the other people that well, come Well, last here. time I was on, I was actually, you know, hanging out in the dry. So... Uh, flip-flopped on this, you know, I've turned face, finally. Um, <laughs> but uh, you, you did that uh, interesting segue because we did discuss this in the mid-season review, how direct Joshua Sotirio and Tempaja are, and Sotirio, to his credit, did get a goal in this game. And here's an interesting stat. Expected goals XG for the Jets, 2.29. Expected goals for the Mariners, 1.95. Yeah, that and doesn't surprise me, though. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it really doesn't surprise anyone who have watched the Jets. Mm. Because they're awesome into getting some very good areas. And the, the real issue is that, first of all, Beckham Mikkel-Tesde isn't being introduced in the box early enough. There's a lot of one-off runs. And you know, you know Becca, th- this is this is another interesting one that you bring up about Mikkel-Tesde. What's happened to, like, Mikkel-Tesde's hold-up play, ability to draw other players in, you know, come short for the ball, this sort of thing. Like, I don't think that that side has all of a sudden, like, just gone away from his game and the Jets' game. This season, right? I, I, I was going to get into that um, as fi- soon as I finished the point because... <laughs> yeah, am I, I fucking gonna... reading your mind at the moment? What's, what's happening here? <laughs> it was just like, it was just riffing off each other right now. Like, it, it's ve- two experienced presenters maybe coming out to play finally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> experience is overstating it, that's for sure. Uh, probably. Uh, I'm being a, <laughs> a, little, a, a little bit vain in saying that. Um, but you're right. Um, Mikkel Teste in his wonderful hold-up play that we mm. saw last season hasn't really been able to do it and I think it's two very clear um, minutiae of the Jets attack. I've watched a lot of Jets football this season and if you look at the wingers that were mostly used last season um, you had Valentino Yule and you had Olivier mm. Boumau. They were also really good to hold up the ball. Fantastic with their feet and could use their body really well to make sure the defenders didn't get a toe in. But the other thing is, you think of someone like Boumau, it's interesting you bring this up, because someone like Boumau, his movement was far more versatile off the ball than Satira and Bahaja, right? It's, it's, yes. he can cut inside, he can yeah. hold the width, he can, you know, it's all this sort of different movements that someone like him can make. And Yule just, Yule was a weird one where I think he just clicked really well with, with Pappas and that kind of just helped from that standpoint. But, 
you know, yeah, you, I mean, we're, we're, we're agreeing here. Yeah, yeah. We're agreeing, we're agreeing with that. And, and it's also a key man in the midfield. And it, it's Daniel Pena. I mean, Absolutely. the reason why Mikel Tese was able to come so deep and hold up so well is because he trusted Pena to be running off him. And they almost interchanged just, just really fluidly. Um, this is just, interesting. Sorry, because I was thinking about this about kind of 10 minutes ago when, when you're talking and stuff. Now, Pena, so Pena was there last season. We know how he was one of the best players in the league. He was fantastic. He was at the forefront of what Paps was trying to do. He was perfectly suited to it and he was great. He leaves. There's a massive hole. Piscopo, like, just briefly takes that position, right? When, when he moved Piscopo to a 10 briefly during the season, it kind of unlocked something for Newcastle and they looked, they looked good there and that was happening. Then Piscopo goes out injured and it's like now they've got that hole again. So maybe, I mean, this is too simplistic to suggest this, but is it a case of Pappas finding this number 10 type player that he can plug into there? Because if you can find that and that player can stay fit, then maybe that's what unlocks his team. Uh, I think that's the exact point I was trying to make. He wants a dynamo. Mm. He wants someone who can like just intermediate with Mikel Tesla, almost not playing a 10 and a forward striker. It's almost like two centre forwards. Mm. And and what he wants is his wingers up a bit further. And instead of playing direct to the posts that they're supposed to be running at, for example, if Bahajas or Ingham's playing on the left, Sotirio's playing on the right, instead of going direct to the post, they want him out wide and hold mm. up the ball for those two centre forwards to come and smoke in at the edge of the D and unlock a little bit of area. That's why you saw Angus Thurgate getting in some really good areas last season. He has done so this season. Mm. Thurgate's probably even the most consistent player for the Jets this entire season. Just to just to give him a little bit. How, how much how much like Thurgate stock do you still have? Did you sell any or are you still you still like buying pretty high on Angus Thurgate? I'm I've sold a little bit. Um yep. ma- mainly because uh, you know, there's there's the old argument of is this player helping the team win or is this player just looking really good in a certain, you know, Fair. equation of, of, of football talent and skill. Um, and for me, I think Thurgate will have a very long and illustrious career if you were to stay in Australia. He'll mm-hmm. be a part of a championship team. Uh, I very much think he will be a part of that. Um, whether he uh, gets the opportunity overseas, I think that uh, Asia is definitely a, a possibility on the cards, but I feel like he needs another really good season to, to maybe get some interest from European clubs. Uh, but... He's very versatile in the midfield as well. He's great when he's going forward. And I, I feel like another issue with the, the Jets midfield, uh, is that when he is played deeper, he's almost isolated and his best talents, which is that sort of doggish running and ghosting in at the back post just to finish off something mm. out of nothing, um, is, is really lost when he's playing deep. And again, it brings us back to having that two center forwards with Daniel Pena last season. It's, because neatly, when those players drop, Thurgate was able to get forward. And Thurgate did score like a few goals, a few really important goals for the Jets last season. And this year has been less productive, I think, because of that hole. And I think the difference you see between Pena and Piscopo is Piscopo's much a number 10 who goes side to side. He, he wants to stay in the eye line of the, the opposing deepest midfielder. So mm-hmm. he can find it, unlock a pass in behind. Uh, Mikel Tezde is not a direct striker like that. Sure, Bahaja, Ingham, Soterio, um, are direct and more direct than Mikel Tezde, but it does nothing for Mikel Tezde's game to, to have a player who wants to go side to side with the ball. Mm-hmm. What he needs is someone running off him. He needs someone who can play a one, two, who can unlock 
the middle space and then shifted out wide and really quick transitions between the midfield. I mean, the pace that Pena got an attack started was unreal. It would almost look like he was dawdling and walking. Yeah. And all of a sudden, bang, there's four passes that have unlocked Mikel Teste or Pena's in behind by mm. then. Or Mikel Teste's winning a penalty or Daniel Pena's winning a penalty and they're converting them. So when you have those direct wingers, when you also have defenders who can't really play the brand of Pappas ball, and you can also, you chucked in O'Neill there, and I definitely agree that he's more of a hard man in the midfield rather than someone who can hold up the ball, who can... I'm, who not, can, I'm not saying he can't do that. I, I don't think he can do it to the extent which Pappas It's not wants where it. he's most effective. He's not where he's yeah. most effective, yeah. and he's not... You're right, he's not doing it to where Pappas believes that a deep line... Like, I, like, what I'm saying is I think Pappas wants, like, he... Like for a system like his, you want a six who's like constantly getting on the ball, constantly uh, setting the tempo, two touches max, just ball comes into him, bang, goes the other way, one center back to another. Like, and he's just kind of shifting the play and doing that sort of thing. I wanted to post something to you. Um, uh, Silvera, Silvera are shushing Jets fans and also Jets fans booing Silvera. Yes or no? Maybe what, what, what's your take on that? I like it. I like a little bit of ferocity. <laughs> um, I mean, this has probably been the worst year for crowds at um, McDonald Jones Stadium, mm, mm. at least for a very long time. And uh, if that sort of attitude brings more people to Newcastle Jets games or, or just to the F3 derby, um, you know, as an isolation you know, during the season, I, I'm all for it. You know, uh, I think that the F3 derby um, is sort of pushed, I suppose, to the um, frame of, of sort of derby football in the A-League. And, and he's talked about, of course, of the big derbies, which are the original rivalry, the Melbourne derby, and also the, the, the Sydney derby. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying it's anywhere near as big as those. What I am saying that is it has its place. It's almost the derby of the other teams in New South Wales. And those catchment areas are huge. Oh, I mean, we saw, but we saw the Mariners away, away bay was, was absolutely stacked right now. Obviously, Obviously, you know, when the team's doing well and, and performing the way it is, that's, it's, you know, you kind of not expect it, but you can understand it. But I mean, it was fantastic. Like, you know, and, and the noise when, when uh, the Mariners scored each of their goals. I mean, that's, that's the stuff you want to see, you know, great, great kind of traveling support like that. I mean, yeah. The noise when, uh, Silvera was wittily gritting on the field, um, was, was fantastic to see from the other end of the stadium. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. sorry. I had to I had to chuck that in just for good value. But um yeah, the the Mariners fans were fantastic and I went to the away derby, both the rained out one and also the the one that the Jets won. Um can't remember what month it was. It, it was towards the start of this year. Mm. Um and the Mariners fans to their credit have come back in numbers and have supported their clubs in spades this season. And I think the Central Coast and Newcastle, due to, I suppose, the population density in those areas, really only sharp when the team is winning. I'm not saying that's um, a great reflection of, you know, how the clubs appear in the community, but but it is a contributing factor. But um, the more the F3 derby uh, gets intense, I mean, I suppose the, the better days of the F3 derby were you know, the early 2010s, mid-2010s, where you had, you know, aggravating strikers like Matt Simon getting on the nerves of Jets fans. You had the immediacy after the 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 grand final matchup in 2008 as well, relatively still fresh in the memories of both sets of fans. Um, and personally, I'd like to see that intensity and, 
and also the the crowd numbers and and I suppose um you know the the noise you know in both stadiums uh go up another notch because it certainly has a place in the Australian footballing uh, landscape. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we mentioned we mentioned earlier about the Mariners, obviously talking about the the kind of race for second. Um, so they are just just a reminder they are in third at the moment. Um, same goal difference as the Wanderers and both are one point behind Adelaide in second. So it's, it's a tight race there. Um, and just, just for them as well, um, undefeated in the last four. So uh, like I said, that February March wasn't great for them, but then now they've kind of rediscovered that form. Um, and yeah, albeit, you know, with, with wins, three wins against non top six sides at the moment. So, you know, it maybe has been a generous draw from that point of view, but you know, that, that they're getting it done. Um, Couple things on the Jets. Um, so three of the last five games, they've dropped points from winning positions. Uh, also against top six sides this season, three wins, two draws and seven losses against top six sides. So kind of, you know, it makes sense kind of to see where they are. And then last bit, we, we touched on defensive stuff, but I mean, uh, third most goals conceded in the, actually, I don't know. That might have changed. Um, after tonight, let me, let me do a quick, quick look. Uh, at the table, it's actually, they're actually the fifth most goals conceded. Sorry. Uh, now with 43 after, um, after Perth obviously conceded four against, uh, against United. So yeah, they're kind of, those stats kind of really put things into perspective. Hey. Uh, it, it really does. I think that, um, there's a few teams that have been knocking on the door of that top six, um, that really don't deserve to be in that position. Um, Whilst uh, I'm not going to hang the Jets out to dry because there are probably worse teams in the league, um, namely, in, in my personal opinion, MacArthur and Brisbane, although Brisbane have had a massive uptick in the, in the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. and have a huge game against Sydney FC on Anzac Day, which I think everyone between 10th and 5th place will be uh, eyeing off fans of those teams. Uh, so, uh, that's uh, Monday, match. Monday night, of course, not, uh, so, yeah, not sorry, Anzac Day. Sorry, yeah, no, not Anzac Day Eve is what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Miss that out. Um, but, uh, look, I, I, heading into this season, I had hopes they'd be knocking on the door, but I, I really expected them to perform just as they did the previous year. And I suppose without actually being, uh, put towards the ninth and tenth places, uh, officially as of yet, um, they've pretty much, uh, fulfilled my expectations. Yeah, yeah. All right. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at FrontPGFootball, Facebook Front Page Football, also on LinkedIn, TikTok, and make sure you check out the website, FrontPageFootball.net. Thanks for the, uh, thanks for the chat, Jack. Um, that was, that was good stuff, actually, to get an insight into, because I, I just don't think the Jets probably are covered enough, right? Um, so it's good to kind of get that bit of an insight into what's going on there, because it just had a bit of a weird season. Um, and then also just the F3 derby, because I think it was a good, Good, uh, good spectacle. Uh, so thanks for joining me. Once again, thanks to, uh, to Matt and Antonis, uh, from, from earlier as well. Anything else that you want to, want to add before we, uh, before we sign off? Uh, here's to more consistent ownership in the A-League for the next season. Thank you very much. <laughs> You've been waiting like half an hour to get that in there. <laughs> uh, I think so. Just, just a little bit at the end. Had just, to uh, just, just, just a thought for, for everyone involved at an administrative level in the A-League. <laughs> just a, just a thought. Okay. <laughs> um, that'll, that'll do it, uh, for, for this episode of the, of the front page football podcast. You can uh, catch us next week. Bye for now.